I have the privilege of joining our students this year, my fourth build trip, Mexico build trip, and um, but it was a it was a blast being with the kids. And thank you guys, I enjoyed my time. Um, you know, one of the things that was really fun, uh, well, actually, it's not really that fun, but one of the things I can count on when I go on a on a build trip is I know when I come back from a build trip, I'm going to come back with some sort of minor injury. I just know it. It's going to be a cut, a scrape, a bruise, whatever, something weird probably. My second year when I went on the men's Mexico build trip, the last day, I woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning with intense vertigo because of the dehydration. So I will never forget stumbling out of my tent at 4 in the morning in the dark towards the porta potties like a drunken sailor. That was awesome. That was great. So this year, my injury had to do with my thumbs, actually. This year, uh, the first day, we were, we were using a pickaxe to, to cut up some of the rock that was on the ground. And somehow, doing that, I injured my palm. Uh, but what that meant was that I couldn't use my thumb, like the muscle that, that helps your thumb push. I, I couldn't hold on to things very well or open things very well with my hand because um, it was bruised. And then a couple of days later, um, I accidentally hit my thumb with a hammer really hard. And uh, like you can see it right now. I don't know if that's going to fall off or not. Probably not. But it felt like it was going to fall off when I did it for sure. So there were a couple of days there where I couldn't use my thumbs. It was quite an ordeal to open a tube of toothpaste. Uh, so, but you know what? Suffering for Jesus. It's good. It's good. That's one of the funny things about Mexico to me is that basically when we talk about Mexico, we're selling people on doing hard labor. Why don't you come to Mexico and bash your thumbs? It's great. You know, and of course, people don't come back year after year after year because of the hard labor. Though I suspect some of the men do. But most of the people don't come back for the hard labor. I think they come back because when they come, they enter into... A little bit of what it means to be like Jesus. In the, in the blood and the sweat and the tears that they pour out for somebody so that they can build a home for someone. They experience what it's like to, to give like Jesus gave. And in that giving, they reset their priorities and their whole life changes even if just for a week or for a couple of days. And you see kids and, and even men do things that they wouldn't normally do like cry. Or talk to people that they wouldn't normally talk to. Or, or even serve in a way that they normally wouldn't serve. And that's one of the things that I think that we hope that people come back from Mexico. Is getting a glimpse into what it means to give like Jesus gave. To give intentionally. To be a follower of Jesus in that way. One of the tricks of course is when you come home is how does that stick? How do you make that stick? Because it's easy to do it for a week or three days while you're there. But then how do you live out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in this way? To give of your life in this way. We're in the season of Lent. The 40 days before Easter. And traditionally Lent is a time when we prepare our hearts um, through repentance and reflection on what Jesus has done for us. His sacrifice for us. And we get ready for that day, Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And in this season of Lent, we want to spend some time looking back on the story as we've been going through the story and looking at stories that show us a little bit about what it's like to be generous. As we reflect on how Jesus has given to us, what does it mean for us to live back in that way and be generous disciples? 
So the story we're going to look at this morning is actually from Deuteronomy chapter 26. In, De- in Deuteronomy 26, uh, the, the people of Israel are on the threshold of the promised land. They're about to enter in and uh, take this promised land which God has promised to them. And right before they go in, the Lord stops them for a while and he gives them instructions on how to live life in this promised land. And here in Deuteronomy 26, he's telling them how to be a people who give. How to be a giving people. So let's read Deuteronomy 26, and, um, page 170 if you're looking at your few Bibles. As we read this, I want you to pay attention and see if you see a particular verb that shows up six times. And this is a verb that's always attached to what God is doing. So pay attention to see if you can see this verb. Starting in verse 1. When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priests shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, And the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we invite you this morning to speak to us through this word. We invite you to soften our hearts. We invite you to prepare our minds and our hearts for whatever you may have for us, Father. May we learn from these words that were written down so long ago. May they be as real to us now as they were then. I ask in your name. Amen. So did you guys catch that word? What word was it? Give. Yeah. Over and over and over in this passage, we see that God is the one who is giving. He is giving them this land. And over and over and over, as we read it, he wants to remind the people of Israel that that's that's the case. That he is a giver. And so he institutes not only this ritual of giving that they bring this basket of first fruits but he also has them recite the story of how they got there so that they understand okay we're here because God gave us this that God accomplished all this for us that God is a giving God but you know the what's interesting about this passage is I want to I want to pose the question as we read this is that is giving to God actually giving I'll show you what I mean by that. If you look down at verse 10, this is a part of the passage where the, the person who is bringing their basket of first fruits 
is to recite their story and they're, they're to say this thing. And, and they say this. They say, and now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. And now I bring the first fruits. Bring. He doesn't say I give the first fruits. And this is very particular language. When you read scripture and you, anytime you see uh, talking about tithes or sacrifices or first fruits, you see that scripture uses this, this word bring instead of give. And the reason why is because you can't give what's not yours. You can't give what's not yours. But you can bring it. And so in Scripture, you see that they're using this language to remind the people of Israel that they are simply bringing back to God what was already His in that basket. They're bringing. God gives, we bring. But then you might read down to verse 12, and you'll see this. When you have finished sitting, setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Notice here that they, they give their tithe. Every third year they were to collect a tenth of the produce and they were to give this, but they don't give it to God. They give it to the people who lack. The Levite couldn't work because he was working in the temple and, and the alien and the stranger and the widows and the orphans and the poor, they didn't have the produce or the means to get their food. So they were to give what they had to them. That makes sense because they had it and they could give it. Now here's the thing. These two things is combined. All, the, all this whole picture is meant to present to the Israelites that what they had was not theirs. Either they were to bring it back to the Lord or they were to give it to those who needed it. And the whole picture is to remind them and, and to remind us that what we have is, is a gift. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord and, and is for His purposes. But I don't want to stop short on just thinking about giving because I think this passage is also telling us a little bit about what it means to give, how we give. Because the Lord asked them not just to give, but to give what? First fruits. Yes, to give their first fruits. Now, if you think about this, the first fruits, basically the first produce of their land, the idea that God would ask them to do this is it's really kind of challenging for them. In agrarian culture, they were dependent on their crops to live. You know, every year the harvest mattered uh, because that meant whether they would starve or not, whether they would live or not. But the Lord is asking them, you know, these farmers as they were prepping their food for the year, they're sowing, they're weeding, and, and they are dependent upon the Lord to, that this fruit would come out of the ground. And finally it does in the harvest season. And the very first things that come out of the ground, they're to take them and put them in a basket and give them back to the Lord. Now you can imagine if, if you're a farmer, the very first things out of the ground, you've been waiting a while for these things. And now what if, what if the rest of the harvest doesn't come through? What if locusts come through? What if the only thing that comes out of the harvest are these first fruits? It's a risky proposition. And not only for those who are farmers, but you have the people who cared for animals, sheep herders. The Lord asked them to bring the best of their animals, those animals that had no spot or blemish, their firstborn. 
So God is asking from the people of Israel for their best of the best. And it's risky. So risky, in fact, that the people of Israel never follow through with it. Not really. And as you go through the history of Israel, as, as we have done, you see through the years, the hundred to hundred of years that, that they are, as a nation, is supposed to be following God, that very rarely do they actually tithe. Even by the end of the Old Testament, you know, Pastor Mark was sharing with us from the book of Nehemiah last week, and we learned that the Israelites were exiled because of their disobedience into the country of Babylon. And, but what happens is that God brings them back to the promised land. He says, I'm going to bring you back. But even when they come back after this exile and all the things that they've learned, they still are not tithing. In the book of Malachi in chapter 1, the Lord says to his people, you, when you bring your first fruits, you bring sick animals, sick and lame animals. And sometimes you even steal animals from other people to bring to me. That's not right. And then in Malachi 3, he says, you rob me of my tithes. Right? That makes sense. If they are gods, if they are to bring them to him, when they didn't bring their tithes to God, they were robbing him. He says, you rob me of my tithes. And as we read through the Old Testament, it's not like God needs this. And as a matter of fact, he says over and over, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't, I don't need a meat and vegetables quota. That's not what I'm about. Remember what Pastor Mark said last week. God doesn't need your giving. Who needs it? You, me, we need it. And the people of Israelite needed it because when they sacrificed, when they gave their first fruits and their tithes, it was a, a sign and a regulator of their relationship with God. So as you, as you read the story and as you see, when they actually did this, it showed, showed their trust of the Lord, that they would trust, indeed, that the Lord would bring the rest of the harvest in. It showed their obedience, that they were willing to do what God had asked them to do. And it showed their love for Him, that they loved Him enough to trust Him and obey Him. But when they didn't, do these things when they didn't trust him and obey him and, and love him through the sacrifices that he had asked them to do, then what happened? We saw turmoil, we saw murder, we saw injustice in the streets. And that's basically the history of the nation of Israel. So this this giving, this bringing of the first fruits, giving was evidence of their relationship with God. And giving is evidence of our relationship with God. It shows what's going on inside of us. And this isn't a checkbox. As I said, God didn't need this. He didn't need people to, okay, check it off. You know, bring whatever you got, meat and vegetable quota, just dump it in front of me and I'm happy. That's not why he did this. Because he cared about what people were doing. He cared about how they were doing it. It wasn't a checkbox. He said, I don't want your leftovers I want the best of the best because when you bring the best to me, I know it means you care. I know it means that your heart is aligned to my heart. So how we give is important because it shows how intentional we are. God desired intentional giving from the people of Israel. And this concept of, of being intentional is something that I've, I've wrestled with, I've grappled with over, over the years. I don't necessarily like to be disciplined um, you saw in, in, in the bulletin, if you read the bulletin this morning, how I kind of dealt with that in terms of the first thing I did in the morning. That was something God led me to, be disciplined and intentional with my morning time. 
But he's also worked in me and how I work with my finances, to be intentional with my finances. And actually, for Megan and I, we grew up in, um, in homes that tithed. So tithing isn't necessarily radical for us because we grew up around it and we've practiced it almost our entire lives. So that wasn't radical for us. So when we came to Chapel Hill, we were tithing. Immediately we were tithing. But one of the funny things that we noticed right away, and I don't know why this happens. It's kind of funny to me. Um, but we realized pretty soon that the, the plate never got passed in front of the pastors. I have no idea why still. Um, but we never saw the plate. So I would have my check ready. And where, where is it? And I'd have to look a few rows back and kind of dive back to, to drop my check in there. But what that helped me realize as, as time went on is that actually I wasn't as intentional with my giving as, as I wanted to be. Because, you know, we get paid once a month and maybe a week or two weeks would pass by and I would think, oh, okay, we should, we should pay our tithe. We should bring our tithe. But maybe sometimes even a month would pass by. And, oh, oh, I forgot. Man, I'm going to have to double my tithe this month. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want that to be what my heart was toward the Lord. Like it was a second afterthought or something like that. So we made the simple step of doing automatic giving. Chapel Hill has that set up, and so we just did that. And so now our check comes into our banking account, and immediately out comes the Lord's tithe. What's interesting is as I reflect on my life and as I get older, I know I'm not that old, Trust me, I know that. I'm 35. Um, But as I get older, uh, one of the things I've realized is that the more intentional that I am, the more that I am blessed. The more intentional I am with my spiritual life, with my family, with my time, with my whatever, resources, everything. When I am intentional with that, the Lord blesses me spiritually. And according to his mercy, sometimes will even bless me materially. And I think the reason why that is every time I step out and I am obedient to him and I stretch myself to, in some way, to, to do something that matters to him, that's hard for me. And when I am intentional in this way, it creates room for him to show up. He shows up because I say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. I'm being intentional, but I need your help. And he shows up for me. But when I am haphazard, when I'm just kind of ping-ponging along, there's no room. I don't get the opportunity to see him show up in my life. So it's no different, of course, when we talk about finances for me. And it wasn't super profound. It wasn't like as soon as I you know, went to automatic giving, the, the angels in heaven cried and the Lord sent me a million-dollar check. That's not what happened, right? It wasn't profound, but it was meaningful. It mattered. It mattered to me and it mattered to God because there was, there was something in the heart that happened when I did that. So I imagine that some of you might be out there and say, why are we in Deuteronomy? Why are we talking about what we should be doing out of Deuteronomy? I mean, isn't that the law? Isn't, aren't those the laws and ordinances for Israel? And aren't we in the age of grace? Didn't Jesus come to free us from works so that we might live by faith, so that we might live in grace, so that we might live in relationship. To that I say yes and amen. 
But what I hope that you're realizing as we are talking about these laws and ordinances that God set down for the people of Israel, that they were about relationship all along. They were always about relationship. God gave the people of Israel these laws and ordinances so that their relationship would be shepherded by them, with him. And also that their relationship would be prepared for when Jesus came. This might seem like a a rabbit trail. But do any of you know about the five love languages? Have you ever read that? I get some head nods, right? So five love languages, if you've never heard of them, um, about how we give and receive love. So one of them is is, uh, words of affirmation, um, touch, uh, gifts, giving and receiving gifts, um, acts of service, quality time. So my, one of my bigger ones is actually touch. If you'll notice, Megan and I, when we're sitting in the pew, I have a hard time not putting my arm around Megan, even at church on Sunday mornings. I've got to touch her, um, because that's how I express my love for her. When we think about God, think about what kind of, what's, what might his predominant love language be? You could easily argue that he loves in all of these ways. As a matter of fact, I would say he's the source of these kinds of expressions of love, but if you were to say, kind of narrowed in on, down on one that really seems to express the, the majority of how he reveals himself to us, I wonder what you would think that would be. I want to argue that, that God's love language predominantly is giving. God is a giver. And I want to argue that from John 3.16. John 3.16. We all know that verse, right? Where God so loved the world that he gave. Yes, that he gave. God is a giver. So as we, as we look at Deuteronomy, and we look, you know, thousands of years before Jesus came, hundreds of years, and we see that God is a giver back then, you realize that there's nothing new in John 3.16. We've already seen how God is a giver. So we learn so much about God, and we want to understand who God is from Deuteronomy and on how we live. And as, as a matter of fact, you know, Pastor Mark, last week he, he shared a little bit about how he's reticent to, to talk about stewardship and giving because in, in the years past as he's done it, and he's taken a lot of hits from people about it. But the reality is, is that we talk about giving all the time. When we talk about marriage... You cannot have a successful marriage unless you give. The spouses have to give to each other for it to work. They give of their love, of their time. They have to forgive. When we talk about prayer, you cannot pray well unless you give. Unless you give of yourself to God and give of your time. Take that time to do. We have to be givers to be disciples. To follow God in the way that he is. To follow after him, we have to be givers. And no wonder, because it is quintessentially who he is. He is a giver. So when we follow him, we give too. But it's also, as we talked earlier, it's not about just giving. It's about how we give. How does God give to us? Well, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't give us leftovers. God didn't just send a mere man. He didn't even send an angel. 
He sent us what was most precious to him, what was most valuable to him, he gave to us for life. He gave us his first fruits. So now when we see in Deuteronomy that God is telling the people of Israel to give their first fruits, we can recognize that in Jesus Christ, God gave us his first fruits. So of course, he would want us to respond in that way. Of course, he would want us to give our first fruits because that's exactly what he did. That's exactly who he is. He's a first fruits giver. One of the wonderful things about first fruits giving and thinking about life in this way and about living out our discipleship in this way is that when we are first fruit givers, we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the gospel to those who are watching, whether it's your spouse or your family or even your banker. You are saying, in effect, Father, I know that you gave your son your first fruits so that I might have life. So now I give. I bring to you what you gave back to me, and I give so that others may have life. That is a proclamation of the gospel. That is the good news. And by being first fruit givers, we proclaim that gospel. And so one of the things I, I imagine that you can, you can see is when we do not give, when we are not first fruit givers, when we hold back in this way, we miss out on that opportunity to say something to our world about who God is. We miss out on the opportunity to reflect him as, as, as someone who is a giver at his core. We miss that. So I pray that we would become people who would reflect God in every way, in every aspect of our lives as, as givers, as people who are sacrificial, as people who give out the first and the very best of what God has given us. May that be so. Pray with me. Father, indeed, I do ask that you would make us people who give. Lord, soften our hearts. Enable us, Father. So, Lord, that we may reflect you, that we may proclaim your goodness to this dying and hurting world. And, Lord, we know that in that giving, Lord, we need your power. We need you to enable us to do that. So we ask, Lord, that you would send our, your Holy Spirit into us, that you would give us everything that we need, that as we respond to your initiative, as we respond to the way that you are, Lord, that you would enable us, that you would provide everything that we need to do so. Lord, it is risky. And sometimes it's scary. But Lord, I know that when we enter into intentional relationship with you, when we give intentionally in this way, Lord, you show up. So, Father, I pray that we would trust you, that we would love you, and we would obey you in this way. Help us to do that, we ask in your name. Amen. So many of you were here last week, and you might have met Tim then. Um, some of you know Tim. Some of you don't. And that's okay. Either way, it doesn't matter, actually, because we didn't invite Tim up here because you knew him or not. We invited him up here simply to share his art, simply to, to grapple with you and in front of you how he is processing what we're talking about here. So I'm going to let Tim lead us in that way. Thank you, Larry.
So most of you who were here, were most of you here last week? Good, good. You know what's coming next. Uh, I'm going to be asking about our homework. For those of you who weren't with us, in this series, we're on week two of a three-week series, series, The Generous Disciple, we have homework every Sunday. And so just a warning for next Sunday as well, it's coming. For those of you who were here last week, I challenged you to do two things on the topic of generosity. And I'm just going to tell you that last night's service did a great job of remembering this. Nine o'clock, I think they were still asleep. So I'm going to ask you, what were those two things that we were going to do about generosity? Pray and process. Amen. That was very enthusiastic by some, not so much by others. I hope that you were doing that. Um, This is my week one reflection. Remember, I kind of uh, put it out there and charged all of you to hang on to this. Use it in your reflections on your own, in the quiet time with the Lord, and also with your spouse. Um, Mine went all the way to Phoenix and Albuquerque and back. It's got a little tear in it, but other than that, it's still with me. And I actually did use this, and Stephanie and I did talk about it. So I'm hoping that all of you did the same. Um, even my life group spent a little bit of time talking about generosity. We didn't get too deep into it, and I know it's a tough topic to trust people when you're talking about money and generosity. I shared last week with you that uh, earlier in, in my and Stephanie's marriage, we were regular tithers, 10%, and then we had actually moved into becoming sacrificial givers. And you'll recall, those of you that were here last week, we have the generosity ladder. And for those of you who weren't here last week, this is just a a way of depicting your maturity in generosity. And I shared with you that we had been up in that lighter blue sacrificial, a little hard to read up there, and really we had dropped down a few years ago into into the safe zone, into into the orange circle. And... We had done so because life, busyness, things happen, and I know none of you can relate to any of that. We got to the end of 2014, and we realized that our giving was way below where it should be. So we realized that we needed to do something about that. We'd come to church, and... We wouldn't bring our first fruit. Sometimes we even didn't bring our checkbook. We had just gotten so unintentional about our giving. So we knew that that had to change. And we had an epiphany at that point. We realized that we didn't have a... a, This wasn't caused by a financial crisis for us. This was caused by a spiritual crisis. And so we knew that we needed to change because we love Jesus, we love the Lord, But clearly, the Lord was not our priority. We were giving leftovers. And so this leads us to our homework assignment for this week. This week, we're going to ask you to do two things throughout this week until next Sunday. Can anybody guess what those two things are? Pray and process or process and pray. I'll I'll take either one. I, I, I don't mind the order. If you'll take out in your bulletin 
Yes, there is another homework assignment. Week two reflections, and it has the generosity ladder on the back of it. Take that out. Wave it at me so I know you're still with me. Thank you. Balcony. Great. If you don't have one of these, I encourage you to come back downstairs, find a bulletin. We ran out last week. Uh, They were so popular. There are some provocative questions that are there for you to process, and there's some uh, suggested topics to be praying about. This is this journey of generosity, where we are as an individual, where we are as a couple, where we are as a family. And as I shared last week, we don't care, and God doesn't care about where you're at. What he cares about is where you're going. And so one of the items on there is to think of a continuum, one to ten, one being sacrificial giving, first fruit giving, and ten being leftover giving. And I challenged you last week to be thinking about where you, are on, where you were on the generosity ladder. And so you can apply that same continuum thinking Maybe that helps you as to where you're at, or maybe you weren't with us last week, and so you're looking at this for the first time. Again, no matter where you're at, if you're a nine and you're more of a leftover giver, that's okay. This is about where we're going. This is about our maturity in Christ. So the other thing that's on your week two reflection sheet And again, we are not going to allow these to slip underneath the mail on Monday. We are not going to allow these to stay in the SUV or the minivan. We're going to hang on to these, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Very unenthusiastic amen, but I'll take it. (laughs) On here, you'll see that there is uh, information on the Chapel Hill website and um, automatic giving. Maybe automatic giving is a way for you to spur your maturity and generosity. I know for us it was, and, and for those of you who are uh, millennials or younger, uh, you can also do that off the app that's on your phone, uh, the Chapel Hill app. And if it's not on your phone, when we go to prayer, if you just hit the load button, it'll be loaded by the time um, uh, Larry's prayer is done. I, I did that one Sunday. I was amazed how quickly it loaded. I wasn't looking. I was praying. But you go on there, and if you, go, if you tap on the app and go to the far right, it says Give. You tap on that, it has a drop-down menu. It'll give you tools. It'll give you information. It'll give you instructions. You can text your giving once or set it up for regular. For Stephanie and I, this was a game-changer because we moved our giving from the 20th century to the 21st century, got ourselves back into intentional giving, we made sure that it was the first thing that came out of our auto pay or out of our paycheck. We set it up so the timing would be such that it would be first fruit. For us, this was alignment. This was freeing. And we found ourselves, as the offering would happen and the, and the plate would pass, we weren't putting anything in it, but we knew we already had. And so for me, it was joy and it was peace that I felt during offering, because I knew that I was once again giving the Lord priority in my life. No longer did I have the anger at myself or the guilt that I felt for not contributing, for not thinking about it, for not being intentional. So my prayer for each one of us is that we will hang on to this week two reflection. We will use this. We will pray about it. We will think about it on our own with our spouse. And if you are brave enough to do that with your life group, I encourage you to do the same. 
Think and imagine if everyone who is a regular member or a regular attender or a member of this church who's here now, that was here in the previous service, that was here Saturday night, and those that can hear me off the podcast, think of every single one of us, every single couple, every single family took a step. Maybe it's the first step. Maybe it's just giving for the first time. But if we moved ourselves and our maturity up the ladder of generosity, imagine the power that has for building the kingdom of God in Gig Harbor.